Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and of course it's Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, first up a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rec Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there and I think it's going to be quite a nice day to be out in fact. Good. So why not be out in the garden today after you've finished listening to us on 3CR of course. I think you had snow flurries a little while back didn't we you? We have had and we had an incredible hailstorm the other night. Um, uh, I heard this banging on the roof and I thought gee that rain's heavy and I looked out the window and everything was white. <laughs> And uh, it's quite big hailstorm, so that uh, put the end to one or two flowering bulbs. But anyhow, that's sort of the way of it all. So, yes, we've had a few little snow flurries, not down as far as where my garden is, but further up on the hill we've had some. And, uh, yes, so it's been a pretty cold time the last couple of weeks. Mm, and uh, It's the wind chill factor. Oh, yes, and Thank sometimes that wind has been awful. I've gone into the nursery and the place looks like it's full of ground covers. Everything's just gone thump, 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 and you've got to spend the rest of the day picking everything up, yep. uh, which is one of my banes, I have to say. I can cope with wet, I can cope with cold, I can cope with all sorts of stuff, but windy weather drives me nuts. Mm. I hate it. Mm. But anyhow, it's just the way it is. Well, it drives kids and animals nuts too, yeah, so exactly. there you go. You're not alone. Yeah, school, and of course, school teachers know. Oh, they yes. do. Yes. I can tell you, they do. Yes, <laughs> uh, and of course, I've been potting up bare-rooted stock, which is one of those jobs that one does every winter. And of course, if, before they get settled in the pots, if the wind blows in, they all rock in the pots and they're sitting there with their poor little trunks having made a hole around them. Oh. So you've got to go around and firm everything back yes, up again. Right. And, uh, and, of course, if a pot goes over that's just been potted up, all the potting oh, mix falls out. out. Yeah. So there's all those little <laughs> minor details that one has to deal with. Well, you would, you would want to run a nursery, Yeah, well, you? yes, I don't understand You just why. need to buy some reinforcing wire with yes. enough of the pots and you stick the pots in them. Yeah, well, that's probably a good idea and I probably should have done that after 30 years of horticulture. <laughs> but uh, never got round to it, so, you know, mm. I just... You know, it's like I should never have put my pit where I put my potting mix where it is. 
and it's all too late because, you know, to change the whole nursery around to put the potting bay in an area that's more convenient instead of having to empty the whole driveway every time I need a truckload of potting mix coming in. <laughs> uh, but again, I've been doing that for 30-something years, so I suppose I'm not going to change now. Mm-hmm. So it's all too late. But if I was redesigning the nursery, it would be quite different today. Okay. But it isn't going to be. <laughs> and And... Good morning, Roger Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> that Hello, voice in the background. <laughs> Pam and everybody out there. And I think you're right, Stephen, about today. It's going to be a fairly nice day. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Good day to be out there digging and doing and Absolutely. weeding and yep. pruning back perennials and yep. all those winter jobs we need to do. Good morning, Gwen Elliott. Good morning. I'm sitting in between these two guys. So yeah, try to keep us yes, in order. Exactly. No exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, so, what have you two been up to? What's well, happening at Cranbourne? Well, it's their, the Cranbourne friends um, down at the Botanic Gardens have three sales a year. Um, one in summer, um, which is okay. One in spring, which is always very busy. And one in winter, which gets all the enthusiasts out and buying. So yesterday morning, uh, it was meant to start at 10 o'clock. But Nine o'clock, though, then. They were lined up <laughs> ready. And it was shuffle, and uh, it was very busy yesterday, but there's still a lot of stuff left, and Mary-Anne said she's even going to have stuff on one of the shelves. She'll, you know, make them half price or something today, so... Oh, so there could be an extra bargain to be There could be an extra bargain or two down at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens today. Okay, so uh, 10 o'clock till 4 o'clock today. Yes. That's... that's when it's yeah, and yep. by four o'clock each day, it really is you know with this winter weather, four o'clock and it's all over by the dusting <laughs> off and, <laughs> and shouting pipa ray. Uh, but yeah, we'll be going straight down after the program finishes here at um, nine fifteen. But there's people down there probably not quite already, but very soon they'll be arriving down there to just make sure everything's. Spick and span for today. Fantastic. Yep, excellent. And it's a good time to visit nurseries. Look, particularly if you've gone outside this morning and sort of said, or last night or whenever, and said, oh, it's not much in flower at the moment. Mm. You know, now's the time to, to go to a nursery or your botanic garden, your local community garden, and see what's looking good in flower or foliage or whatever, something that's going to make an impact Right next to the front door, just where it's looking a bit dull. You know, don't wait until spring because that's what we often do. We go shopping for plants in spring. And everything's in flower in spring. That's right. (laughs) I mean, even, well, you you might go for something else in spring, but you can't resist Mm. this other blue flower plant that was sitting next to the one that you went to buy. It's like being in the grocer's store. Well, exactly. You just, yes, you buy that extra avocado because they're cheap this week. And yeah, right. uh, yes, but people do that. They mm. they get excited when the spring weather comes on. They go out and they buy a whole pile of stuff that's looking pretty, and then they end up with a very spring oriented garden. Yes. And I personally think people who are keen gardeners should visit their local nurseries and their parks and gardens and their all those other places as well. About once a month, once every six weeks, because you need to have a continuity of things flowering in your own garden. And if you go out and visit the nurseries every few weeks, you'll see something different. Mm. And you'll go, oh, well, I can add to the range of things flowering throughout the year by buying that now. And uh, I think that's really important. And there are some really interesting things flowering at the moment. Absolutely. The fact that cold weather and people tend to stay indoors a bit, although 
I don't know what you find, Gwen, but I find that on really miserable days, that's when the enthusiastic gardener comes out and keeps you standing in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have got an undercover area down at the Cranbourne Gardens, but mm. at the plant sale area, but we won't be needing it today because yeah, the, be well, if we believe, believe the folk at the Weather Bureau, which of course we do, <laughs> there isn't going to be any rain. The other thing I was going to add, Stephen, is that I think it's also good to visit our nurseries, particularly our small or specialist nurseries on a regular basis because um, they need our support. You know, I think some of our nurseries like the Corner Milk Bar or the Hardware Shop, um, we're losing so many of them still. And I can say this now because I'm not in retail Mm. nursery and it's not self-interest at all. But, you know... Many, it's been said in many areas, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Mm, that's right. And we are losing our nurseries, and so please go and support your local nursery, um, and you know it'll, they'll be there when you need them. Mm. <laughs> and they're likely to have, the, and this is being self-interested, but you tend to find in most of the smaller nurseries and the specialist nurseries you've got extra knowledge and skills involved. I mean, you can go to the big barns and the big garden centres and things, and yes, they'll have some staff that know certain things about what they're selling, but if you want the real in-depth information, you need to go to somebody who's been in the industry for a while, understands what they're selling and growing, particularly if they are a grower, somebody who's growing stock (laughs) as well as selling it, Uh, and they're becoming a a particularly rare breed these days. I mean, Mm. I can remember as a kid there were lots of retail growers um, uh, out there that were selling plants um, to the general public, and therefore you were talking to the person who propagated the plant, they've watched it grow from the beginnings, they knew exactly how it was treated and what was going on. Um, nowadays, you don't even know whether it's come straight out of a greenhouse into some yeah. of these places and hasn't even been hardened off properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And often with those growers too, they, they would even know where the plant originally came from, yeah. you know, too, whether it be the wild or whether it be a special cultivar or what. Yeah. So, and and that, all that information is important if you're going to try and grow them. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah so Gwen's right. You need to support people who are doing the interesting stuff in the trade. And that's the other reason for going and this is becoming somewhat more popular these days, which is good, but the plant fairs. Mm. Um, Matt Masseton's got one coming up in October. Um, They have one out towards Jindavik every year. Um, There's some that are interstate as well. I know they're running them now in New South Wales and down in Tassie as well. Um, And the plant fairs are great because you often meet the growers at those who have got really interesting plant material. Mm. Fernie Creek do their one in March. That's right, exactly. So, yeah, so there's quite a few of these plant fairs around. Uh, I know Ye's got one coming up uh, yeah, that's in right. due course in the spring. Yeah. Uh, I think that's in September. It is September, Yeah, I think. can't remember yeah. the actual yeah. dates, but yeah. we'll get all those things in due course. Um, and that's another good avenue to catch up with people who know their stuff. And mm. I mean, if you go into a retail plant selling area and you ask a question and the person who's running the place reads the label at you, well, then you're probably in the wrong place because they should know a lot of what they've got and you can read the label for yourself. Mm. So I think there's going to be a new plant fair too in the Yarra Valley in uh, November. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're, they're popping up, which is great. Well, there's got to be somewhere where people can go to get these things. And I know it can be difficult if you're going to go to the Danny Nongs to see Peter Tease at Yamina and come to me at Mount Macedon and uh, go to David Glenn out at Ascot, you know, to get around a lot it's of It's a lot people. of travelling, to be quite honest. It's a lot of travelling, uh, although having said that, some people are very enthusiastic. I've got a, 
A gentleman has been in touch with me recently from Western Australia who wants to get some plant material. He's been in touch with the Ag Department to find out which ones he can get and which ones he can't get. Um, they'll have to be cleaned and packed in damp newspaper to go back. And he's flying over to Tullamarine. He's going into Melbourne and getting on a train, coming up to the Macedon Station. He's organised a taxi to pick him up from the Macedon Goodness Station and me. bring him up to my nursery. And he's coming specially to buy about four plants. Yeah. That is enthusiasm. That is enthusiasm. Uh, So I I laugh when people say, oh, you're an awfully long way away. And I say, well, I've got people like this that are prepared to put that effort in. And although I don't do it much anymore because it's getting too difficult and rather bureaucratic and expensive, I mean, I used to go overseas to bring plants back. So, I mean, Mm. really, um, uh, it depends on your enthusiasm. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to meeting my new Perth customer in due course. Oh, yes. Wonderful. But even with those you know, various nurseries, specialist nurseries in different areas, there's no reason why you can't, you know, take a week yeah. or two weeks and then, you know, yeah, make it part see, of see lots of things on the yeah. way in the various places. And yeah. there's a wonderful exhibition up at the Ballarat Gallery at the moment, French, from a, I think it's just a regional art gallery and mm. it's been getting rave reviews. Yeah, well, there's there you a, go. There's lots a, to do yeah. and you can include lots of nurseries. It's like when I... Travel for my own benefit overseas, I always try and include a few iconic plants that I want to go and visit. You know, I might might not be visiting them for any other reason other than to get a picture. Um, but, you know, I know when I went to Namibia years ago, people said, oh, you'll be able to see all those elephants and lions and all that stuff. And I said, yeah, yeah, you yeah, but I'll see a Wellwitzia. <laughs> so I saw the Wellwitzia growing in the wild. And, yes, I saw elephants and lions and all those other things as well, which was fantastic. But, yeah, the plant life was just as important to me as the other things Absolutely. I went to see. And yep. uh, even, I think, just, of, you know, travelling from even town to town, if you do stop and have a look and just see what's on the, on the roadsides, mm. You know, so so many people say, "Oh, that's a boring trip." Yeah. You know, going. I always remember we we were looking after a group of Americans, uh, Californians mainly, back in the, I think it was the um, Ansett airstrike, and uh, we got stranded in Perth. Oops. And uh, we're trying to work how on earth we're going to get them from Perth to Adelaide to Melbourne and then to Sydney. Anyway, we said, right, the thing to do is we're just going to hire a couple of, well, a small bus and a van to cart the, the luggage. So we did, and we came across the Nullarbor. Well, that was the highlight of their yeah. trip, yeah. coming across the Nullarbor. Okay, it doesn't you surprise know. me. Lots yeah, of stops. Yeah. Lots, yeah, of, lots stops. of stops. Well, you yeah. need to have the stops. We did exactly yeah. the same thing in the south of France this year with the um, group we had. Well, we didn't miss it plane or something but we yeah. we were on a bus and the highlight for most of the people who was on the bus was when eagle eye Stephen noticed something out of the bus window and made the driver stop, stop. and stop. we got out everyone we, was scrambling out yeah we <laughs> saw chulipa sylvestris and we saw narcissus pseudo narcissus and all sorts of fantastic things growing in the wild things that are mm-hmm. you know seen as garden plants that you know people don't even think about as being wild plants sometimes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for me the excitement was seeing all these backsides in the air and faces to the ground as everybody was <laughs> hunting around for some other wildflower. Trying to take close-up photographs. We found (laughs) pulsatillas, the pasque flowers. We Mm. found fantastic stuff just by spontaneously stopping the bus Mm. and getting out and having a little look around. And it was great fun. That's right. Could I add another plug in here? It's It's not unrelated. It's also important to visit often and support our local community gardens, our botanic gardens, um, these places that grow plants for... 
um, either conservation reasons or our pleasure because some of the plants which will look fantastic in those gardens could readily be described as ugly ducklings. Now, I can think of one that's a little blue plant called Dampira teres. You'll never find that at the box stores, the big stores, because it looks crap in a yes. six-inch Some pot plants don't present well when they're small, do An they? An ugly duckling. Yeah. But you put it in your garden and you think, wow. Mm. Now, you have to go to a, a garden or, as I said, a nursery that's got a garden, a botanic garden, a community garden, um, and have a look at the, you know, one of the great botanic gardens recently is the Melton Botanic Garden. Yeah, fantastic Great collection place. of plants. Uh, some Australian, not all Australian. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, and I know we started exporting plants to USA many years ago and they were just so enthusiastically receiving Australian plants, something different, because they said they were sick to death of petunias. <laughs> now, um, now, that's sad for petunias, but the thing is you can go to those stores and buy potted colour four for ten dollars or yes, something yes. Mm. and then you go to Stevens and find that it's ten dollars for just one plant or yep. you know and other nurseries and they say oh it's too dear there no it's value for money you get what you pay for I always say you don't get Yves Saint Laurent at Target <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, if you want the best stuff then you should expect to pay for it a little bit because a lot of those things are often unusual in nurseries apart from the fact that sometimes they're ugly ducklings when they're young, but also a lot of these plants, are they require specialist propagating mm, techniques. Yeah. Some of them can be really slow-growing. I mean, I've got some two-year-old hue and pines at the nursery that are mm. about, you know, sort of in the old measurements, about four or five inches tall. Mm-hmm. And you think, well... You know, you've got to be able to charge a little more for a plant like that, even though it may not present as something. And, and I think a, a tiny human pine is one of those ugly ducklings because you've just got this little floppy thing that sits yeah. in a six-inch pot. It and until you get a little bit of a trunk happening... Well, it looks as though it's sick, actually, yeah, well, because it wilts. Yeah, yes, it's, it's not the prettiest-looking no. plant. And I regularly get wood turners and things, or wives of wood turners, yeah, who, who come in and they want to buy a human pine just for mm. the sake of having a human pine. They, most of them are quite well aware they'll never live long enough to to grow a hue and pine big enough to get a matchstick out of. Um, but it's the fun of actually having one. And they do make actually quite a nice pot plant when they're oh, yeah, going they a bit. They're yeah. actually very pretty. But mm-hmm. the little ones I've got, I haven't started staking yet. So they're just these little green things sitting in a, in a, mm-hmm. a 15 centimetre pot. And they're already two, two and a half years old or more. Yeah. Um, and so those sorts of plants are always going to struggle to find their place in commerce uh, unless... The specialist nurseries pick them up and run with them. And, yeah, the specialist nurseries need to be supported if, if these things are going to be out there. Otherwise, you'll all end up with golden diosmas and James Sterling potosporums. Yeah, and our palette of plants that we can choose from will be just so, so oh, much reduced. It's really sad. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there you go. I'm going to say that, yes, I'll put out a plea because I do have a vested interest in that you look after your small nursery people. Yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. Mm. And it's fun. Mm. Just uh, Gwen happened to mention about Melton Botanic Garden and that the friends of the the Cranbourne Gardens are are having a a morning talk session and they've invited three of the regional botanic gardens groups to come down and talk. So this is happening on Sunday the 12th of August, starting at 9.30am and it's being held in the Australian Garden Auditorium and just in the Australian Garden. Uh, So... 
We've got people, Jenny Houlihan, who's been one of the prime movers of the uh, Australian Botanic Garden at Shepparton, and it's interesting seeing what they've done on a rubbish tip. It's, it, it's quite staggering, actually, and, and mainly volunteers. The mm-hmm. count, council is helping, but it's, uh, they, they've been doing a lot of work there. So Jenny's going to be there, and she's an ex-mayor, and so it's great to have somebody in council. Yeah, who, if you can got get an a, in. <laughs> well, that's right. If, yes. you, if you can get a champion... You know, of, of a project like a botanic garden on council that just helps tremendously. So Jenny Hill, uh, Glenda Ewan, she's from Whammer. This is the Wildlife Art Museum of Australia. People might wonder what on earth a wildlife art museum got to do with botanic gardens, but they're going to have a botanic garden at Halls Gap, and uh, they're trying to raise money and get some funding now. But it'll be—it's a fantastic project. So it's very early days. They've got the land. They've been doing a bit of planting and stuff like that. And then John Bentley from the yeah. Melton mm. Botanic Yeah, Gardens. I have to say the Melton Botanic Gardens is just an eye-opener. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, they've, they've got a really active friends group. Sure. Yeah. The friends That's group has been what's been pushing that yeah. garden yeah. the whole way along. Mm. And with somebody with the enthusiasm that John's got, um, mm-hmm. uh, he's been able to get council on side and, mm. and get grants and raise funds and... Uh, that garden's gone ahead of pace. Uh, right. I just can't believe it. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you sort of think, oh, Melton, it's really just a, a, yes. a dormitory suburb for Melbourne now. And basically quite a flat site. Yeah, there's, not, there's not a lot flat. of topography no, no, happens no, around no, Melton, no, I have to no. say. Uh, but but yeah. it's just fantastic what yes. they've done with that rather elongated site along the creek there and mm. freeways just above them and, mm. you know, you... you I reckon if you'd seen that as a vacant block before they started, you'd say, oh, what's the point? You know, yeah, that's right. you can't make anything out of this, but yeah. it's fabulous. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, they've got, they've got some problems and stuff, but every Haven't garden has problems. Yeah. Mm. And, and, the, and what they've done, as you say, Stephen, you know, just with volunteers, mm. and it's great to have somebody like John Bentley who's a fantastic organiser. Oh, yes. You know, so that makes a huge I'm difference. I'm sure they'll have slides, photos to oh, show. Oh, yeah, that's so right. I nearly so said slides. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a little bit old-fashioned now, apparently. Well, they, <laughs> but just they, on PowerPoint, they call them slides. Yeah, yeah. well, oh, yes, good yeah. on you. Well, yeah. Use so much, and how do we find out? Yeah, more? so it's Sunday, 12th of August, um, 9.30am, in the Australian Garden at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, so members, friends members, $15, non-members are $20, and students are 10 and you'll get a good morning tea there yeah. too. So if people do want more information, they can contact Jill Burness, 0402 Zero, or you can go to the Friends website, which is what I've got it here somewhere. Um, whoops, sorry, it should be better organised. Here we are. It's um, RBG Friends Cranbourne dot org dot au, and you can get information there. And if you want a book, you can book on the website. Fantastic. Fantastic. Sounds like a good day, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be good. Good. Good morning. So, uh, and it, they are quite, you know, interest, really interesting projects, all mm. that sort of stuff. So it's good. Excellent. And botanic garden, well, Victorian botanic gardens are looking outside their fence, which is wonderful. After many years not doing so. 
but so they're supporting a lot of regional botanic gardens. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's great. Which brings me to uh, the other community announcements that I must get through this morning because there is a bit happening today and uh, in the next week or two. Uh, firstly, today is the second day of a major bonsai exhibition. This is uh, being held at Mantra Bell City, which is 215 Bell Street in Preston, 10am through to 4pm. Uh, admission, adults $5, children under 15 free if accompanied by an adult. And um, it's being held in conjunction with the 31st AABC National Bonsai Convention. So uh, there'll be a magnificent display of bonsai, special, uh, specialty bonsai uh, vendor sales area as well. So that's today, uh, 10 a.m. through to 4 p.m. Now, also uh, coming up next weekend, um, Werribee Park Heritage Orchard Grafting Day is taking place. This will be Sunday, July the 29th. 10 a.m. through to 3 p.m. This is free entry. Uh, there'll be food and drink. You can watch grafting demonstrations, which will take place uh, right throughout the day. Um, you can learn the techniques for grafting and budding fruit trees. You can have uh, new trees budded or grafted for you. Um, uh, and this will be a range of apples, peaches, pears, plums, citrus, subject to availability. You can buy one-year-old grafted heritage fruit trees when available. You can buy uh, fruit tree scion wood for home grafting. Talk to the experts in gardening and fruit growing. Select suitable rootstock. Uh, there'll be rare and unusual edible plants for sale and fruit tastings if it's in season. And uh, there'll also be pruning demonstrations, orchard tours and edible weed walks. So that's all taking place down at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. Uh, K Road in Werribee and uh, for the day uh, there'll be entry via gate 5 follow the signs to the grafting day visitors car park and take a, take a short walk to the old stables now uh, also uh, next uh, weekend uh, in fact to be quite specific next Sunday the 29th of July again National Tree Day and uh, to help celebrate, um, from uh, 10 through to 1 o'clock, uh, Altona Coastal Park in Altona Road in Seaholm ha is having a special celebration. You can come along to the free event, plant a tree, grass or shrub, and enjoy a free barbecue lunch with fellow community members and help create habitat for the local wildlife. Now, to participate, all you need to do is register at the event on the day or you can visit the website, which is www.treeday.planetarc.org.au. That's www.treeday.planetarc.org.au. Now, uh, also coming up next weekend... Um, we haven't had any open gardens for um, quite a while, being winter, and a lot of garden owners don't like to open their gardens in winter, and I don't Can't know why it. not, but Can't anyway. Well, finally, there's going to be a garden opening uh, next weekend. This is under the auspices of Open Gardens Victoria. They're having a Turak Winter Garden opening, 28th and 29th of July. And this is a compact urban garden designed by Andrew Laidlaw in 2016. 
and it makes clever use of courtyard spaces. Now, at this time of year, the garden's textured evergreen planting comes into its own, while deciduous trees maximise winter light. Now, as well as the garden being open, Andrew himself will present a talk on designing the winter garden at 11.30 on both days. Proceeds will go to support Global Gardens of Peace, and uh, Global Gardens of Peace is an Australian charity founded by Moira Kelly in 2013. The aim of Global Gardens of Peace is to create gardens as a foundation to support vulnerable communities, families and individuals of all abilities to heal, restore and grow. Now, the details, um, the garden is at 2 Kilsyth <laughs> Avenue in Turak. As I mentioned, it's open both Saturday the 28th and Sunday the 29th of July, times at 10 a.m. through till 3.30 on both days. Entry is $8, children under 18 are free, students $5, and that uh, those talks by Andrew Laidlaw will take place at 11.30 on both days on designing the winter garden. Now, uh, as uh, usual, Open Gardens Victoria have very kindly given us one free double pass, uh, which you can use on either the 28th or the 29th. If you'd like to grab hold of that free double pass, you can give us a call now on 94190155. That's 94190155 to secure that free double pass for next week's Open Garden event. Okay, uh, just um, one more I should probably mention at the moment. Uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens uh, are also doing a fruit tree pruning with Chris England. Now, Chris does these every, uh, every year and he demonstrates uh, pruning techniques in the Burnley Gardens orchard and then you can have a go yourself under his watchful eye. Uh, now, Chris um, also specialises in espalier, so um, there'll be uh, lots of uh, different ideas for, for pruning. Uh, now, it's taking place on Saturday the 4th of August 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m. Cost, members of the Friends Group, $50. Non-members, $65. That includes morning tea. Uh, you need to bring clean secateurs. Um, all plant material will be supplied. Uh, you also need to wear closed shoes for health and safety requirements. Now, it's taking place at um, Burnley Campus, of course, at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Um, parking is in Yarra Boulevard and bookings are essential. To book, go to friends.burnley at gmail.com or you can phone 9035-6815. That's 9035-6815 and numbers are limited so you do need to book early for that one. Okay, well, it's more than time I invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you'd like to um, ask a gardening question, uh, we've got Stephen Ryan and Gwen and Roger Elliott in the studio this morning, so um, we can answer just about anything, I think. We'll yeah, give it a go. It's horticultural. We'll give it a go. <laughs> okay, so that number, if you'd like to talk to the team on air, 94190155. Or this morning, we have Virginia on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Virginia... Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Roger, let's start with a couple of your plants. Oh, fine. 
Got a, a little Correa here. It's Correa Pulcala. Now, Correa, Correa Pulcala, uh, South Australian plant, mainly on the Air Peninsula, uh, but it grows in a few other places too. And Kangaroo Island, uh, extremely variable. This is one, would you believe, it's called Correa Pulcala Ring-a-Ding-a-Ling. Oh, right. Oh, dear. Flowers are well, bell-shaped. Yes. Oh, yes. I'd say trumpet. If I'm going to be pedantic, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> because of the flared, because of the flared tip, you think of yeah, the trumpet. Yeah, I think it's a bit more trumpet than anyway, bell. But anyhow, it's very pretty. It's a, a low one. It's forever. It's probably around about 30 centimetres high, and this one is about 1.5 metres across, and it's just massed. And it's just interesting to see quite sizable little wattle birds just going around the ground. Uh, they don't have to fly. And every, <laughs> yes. every now and again they'll look up to see if anybody else is there going to bother them, but uh, they're on the ground wandering. So it's a great, you know, this time of year for, for nectar supply and uh, things like New Holland honeyeaters, eastern spinebills. Yeah, they'd all love them. They, Have we they, mentioned the colour? No, Gwen. What's the colour? Well, it's. I guess you'd. Vermilion. Well, it's more red, reddish than straight orange, but yeah. it's in the middle there, between red and orange, flared tips, and the inside and it's is sort of a it's not, it's not is a, pink. It's not a sort of strident shade. It's almost a dusty, sort of gentle yeah, shade. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a, but it's yeah. bright. Yeah, yeah but it's not mm. sort of. Glossy yeah. sort of stand in your face no. sort of colour. It's no. just it's charming. I it's, just don't um, like its name. It was released. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PMA nursery released it, but it, it, it's certainly um, reliable. I think. Well, it's been in our garden maybe three years, perhaps. And there's two of them. One is doing better than the other, but one's in a crappy bit of soil, yeah. and the other one is just just thriving. So, and they will flower right through winter. They've been in flower now probably for six weeks, oh, mm, I suppose, always. Yeah, probably even more than that. Mm. And it'll go on for a, a long time yet. There's, There's little buds, buds all over that so, as well as the. But a lot of the coriopal colours, um, they do benefit from a fair amount of sun because they they come from quite arid. Yeah, so this isn't one you'd necessarily put in that sort of semi-shaded spot no, that you were no, looking for no, something for. No, no. And, and often they come off limestone. So for people down on the Mornington Peninsula, mm. which have alkaline soil, sands, whatever, um, it's good for there. Yeah. But or they through do Geelong as well, I should yeah, think. They've yeah. got fairly alkaline soil, right. so it should yeah. be good down there. And but they do grow quite well in acidic soil. So it's one of those plants. Really worth, and there's so many. You can get shrubby forms up to, say, two metres high. So there's a quite a few. But once again, specialist nurseries will have a, a range of them. And for and people the who don't like the ring-a-ding, whatever it was, name you said, <laughs> um, and the botanical Correa Pulkella, there's probably people listening, Roger, who say, I've got another plant called Pulkella. Well, what, are they related? Well, oh dear, yes, what, the, yes. What does Paul Keller mean? It means beautiful. Beautiful. And there's lots of plants that have that in their name. Yeah, yeah. Just like there's lots of plants that have Japonica in their name, yes. and that's just because they happen to come from Japan. Japan. But they so might occur in China too. Yeah, and they, come, they <laughs> often do. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so botanical names can be really useful, but you've also got to understand their meaning if you're going to understand their usage because, uh, yes, something like Paul Keller, unless you know that it means beautiful, uh, you'll see it crop up in quite a lot of plants and you assume, or at least a lot of people do, that it actually means that there's some relationship between mm. the plants, which, of course, there's yeah. not. No, that's yeah. not. Just a nice descriptive yeah. term. 
And Corrier was named after a botanist with a very foreign name. So Portuguese man. Portuguese, yeah. okay. With the Portuguese these these foreign people who get our plants named after them, how dare they? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, what else have you got, Rod? Oh, look, I like that Grevillea. That's yeah, that's got a nice that's, name. Well, that's well, Gwen, pretty over the top. Gwen can talk about that. Well, this is a, a large shrub, Grevillea, and again, it's one that probably flowers... Oh, most of the year, I can say. It's Grevillea Moonlight. Now, we won't bother telling you what colour this is, but... It's, it's not the colour of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> no, and well, it's not a blue moon either. Yeah, no, no. In, no. In winter, it has a bit more of a lemon shade to it, and in the summer, it'll be paler. Yeah, so it's a, a creamy, a creamy white. sort of, yeah. Yeah, but with a lovely colour. Again... And big heads. The, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, if people know the sort of Rob, Grevillea Robin Gordon type... Uh, spikes of flowers so um, each the flowers are at the ends of the branches this one's got four spikes at the end of the branch it might have another one that's been pruned off there but um, each spike is uh, eight centimetres long and they do do get bigger than that in the warmer weather now I have to ask a question and sorry to butt in but you mentioned Robin Gordon and some people do have allergic reactions to Robin Gordon are they likely to have a potential (coughs) problem with this one I look, not, I haven't heard of any major problems, yeah. but any of the, the slightly hairy-leaved grevilleas, people can have problems. And I think it was talked upon last week. Yes, we it? did yeah. mention it. Yes. And uh, <laughs> even some of the small grevilleas with <coughs> quite small leaves yeah. and, and hairy, grevillea cerisia is one. Mm. Uh, got very small leaves, but... Once again, that can be irritant to some people. Right. Um, but so you uh, need to be aware at least. Yeah, well, that's right. If, once again, I think you're talking about if you are subject to that, that type of thing, well, you wear long sleeves, maybe, mm. and even gloves, and, you know, try and just counteract that sort and of problem. And don't rub your eyes. No, no. That, that, that's <laughs> As our listener well, pointed out. And I think, you know, there are so many plants which um, can cause Allergies for some, oh, pe- some, some people. Yes. You know, I just think of plane trees, and I just wonder why they oh. have so many plane trees. When oh. all the problems that plane trees cause to people, it's just you know, as they flower, particularly at the Chelsea oh, flower on a windy show. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On a windy masks. day, you're in big trouble. Yeah. You'll be coughing and spluttering. Oh. It catches me a bit. Yes, uh, it, it, in the last year or so, me. I've noticed I've the plane okay. trees. Uh, I did a talk down in Victoria Gardens uh, a couple of years back, and there's masses of plane trees in Victoria mm. Gardens and it just completely choked my throat up. Yeah. I could hardly talk and yeah. I'm just sort of pouring water down yeah. the throat and trying to clear it and the same thing happened in France this year it just on one day we were out somewhere and the weather was just the right yeah. way and I said to Craig we've got to get away from here those plane trees are starting to have a reaction on me and mm. so mm. I sort of shot off and I was fine later yeah. Well you, you should have seen us all in, in Lyon because all the, all the street trees were plane trees yeah. all in full blossom and we got a massive gust of wind and you should have seen everybody on the street scuttling in to get into an arcade where they could shelter and everyone was coughing and spluttering. Mm. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting, you know, one of the trees here that is um, most um, suspected in terms of um, hay fever and that is the wattles, you know, Mm. wattle pollen. But years ago there was a chap at Melbourne Uni who was a sufferer and he um, did lots and lots of testing on himself and other people and found that the wattle was the tree that was in flower and everybody When they were said, having the problem. Yeah. And the problem was the ryegrass pollen. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't the wattle at all. Oh, but the, some of the wattles can cause problems. Yeah, but not nearly the, as much as... Some the of the taller, ferny-leaved ones mm. may cause some problems with people. But 
you know, wattle pollen is so heavy. It drops to the ground for the ryegrass pollen rises. Um, I have slight reaction to some of the the grevilleas, and Mm. you know, when we were in the nursery full time, I was aware of that. But if I got some, you know, reaction on my hands, all I had to do was wash in cold water, and that just stopped it. Mm. So if anybody is having a problem with grevillea, Robin Gordon, or its close relatives. Um, try just washing in cold water yeah. when you just feel a bit of itchiness on your skin. Because they are beautiful shrubs. Oh, they yeah. They're just yeah. beautiful. They're all, they're all coming out now, aren't they? Anyway, that so, one, Grevillea yeah. Moonlight. It and a much nicer name. <laughs> three <laughs> metres or oh, probably Not more. just holding it up to <laughs> yeah. the ceiling. And, Which and, is quite a substantial <laughs> shrub. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. And it, unless it's really, really heavy frosts, it seemed to come through. The, the parentage of this is Grevillea... Banksii, which is usually red, but there is some white f- white flowered Banksii. So that was one of the parents used, you know, for which was from Queensland, and it was yeah. it planted in a garden with a grevillea from Western Australia, oh, and they got to know each other. Yeah, and, yeah. and there you go. There you and go. they had a very attractive child. <laughs> <laughs> but on a, on a dull day, Roger, that oh, yeah. that, that lemon is really going to become oh, yeah, almost good. iridescent. It's, yeah. it's going to really light up the space. Yeah, and just the other day, we're in a very small garden now. Pam knows the, the, the spot, but um, we were watching little wattle birds, New Holland honeyeaters, and eastern spinebills. And usually the New Hollanders, their terrors for getting rid of anything else. Yeah, mm. they tend but to be rather bullies, don't yeah, they? they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> but, they didn't even bother the eastern spinebill, and here they are, all in this plant. Must have been more than enough nectar for to go around <laughs> with everybody. Plus little wide-browed scrubberins below scattering. Yeah. So, you know, in a very small garden, it's amazing what, what can happen. Absolutely. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so... Uh, Plenty of time for you to jump on the phones and give us a call and ask a gardening question. We have Stephen Ryan, Gwen and Roger Elliott in the studio this morning. So give us a call, 94190155, or if you'd like to have a chat to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. So, have we got one more there, Roger? Yeah, look, I've brought in some things that don't even have flowers. Oh, goodness me. What a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) But just wafting schmelz of a prostanza called incisor. And all you've got to do is just brush brush it just gently and you get that. So... It's quite a strong uh, scent, isn't it? It is quite strong. Yeah. A mint bush. Uh, A mint mint bush. It's a incisor. It has small, mauvey purple flowers which just get massed later and there's... You can see all the buds there, Stephen. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, is incisor something to do with the flowers? Because it doesn't <laughs> seem to have anything to do with the leaves. <laughs> if, if you look at harder there, you'll see there's some little indents in there. Oh, is there? Oh, there is too, yes. If I, if I really look closely... Um, and he's even got his glasses and on. And I've got my glasses on. I can still almost see the inside. <laughs> magnifying the glass. Um, yeah. It's not one of those botanical features I would have used to denote this species, I don't think. But anyhow, it is a lovely smell. So, uh, you know, there's things to think about, you know, during winter. It's not just always flower. Mm. And uh, there are a whole range of aromatic plants, foliage plants, and uh, you know, we even we've got back houses at Tree Door, which is just next to our veggie garden, so as you walk past that, 
um, you'll, you'll pick up that, that perfume too. What's its common name, Rog? Ha- oh, lemon scented myrtle. <laughs> yes. Backhousia citriodora yeah, is its lemon name. Myrtles. Lemon myrtle. Mm. And, uh, but th- this just gets massed with flour. It'll grow to around about two metres, two and a half metres. So it's not percent. one of the bigger ones? No, no, it's in between, Mor- Stephen. Mor- yeah, and so it, um, and I know I've seen it uh, tortured into all sorts of shapes. So, you know... You, <laughs> you can trim it, in other words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a bonsai enthusiast, yeah, are yeah, you? Yeah, no. yeah, I, tortured. I love the, the terminology I, here. I enjoy bonsai. <laughs> Okay, Stephen, let's uh, let's have a chat about some of your plants. Well, I've brought along a witch hazel, which uh, I think, next to um, uh, winter sweet, the Cumananthus, have to be my favourite winter flowering shrubs. Uh, they're quite large shrubs, uh, but they're slowish growing. Uh, and depending on the cultivar, some of them will grow up quite stiffly vase shape, and others will come out with quite long layered branches on them. And in fact, I've picked a little sprig of a lemon yellow one, which is Hamamelis pallida, uh, and my plant in the nursery garden has been in the garden since just after the Ash Wednesday bushfire, so that was 83. Um, it would have been planted as a young plant like I brought along here, so probably only 50 or 60 centimetres tall, and it is now probably four metres tall and about five metres wide. And I've removed a lot of the lower branches, so I've got this canopy that sits up above me and it goes out over one of the paths in the nursery and you walk underneath it when it's in flower. Uh, Pallida has even with my blocky nose, has, has a little bit of a perfume. They're not richly scented like the winter sweets, but they do have a little bit of scent. And the one I brought along in a pot is one of the cultivars called Diane, and it's a really interesting sort of rusty burgundy colour. And the, flat, the petals are sort of narrow and wavy, so you've got this very spidery effect with the flowers on all of the witch hazels. Uh, they have large hazelnut-like leaves, hence the common name witch hazel. Uh, and interestingly, in most cultivars, the flower colour will also be basically the same colour for the autumn foliage. So if you've got a yellow-flowered one, its leaves will normally go yellow in the autumn. If you've got a burgundy one, its leaves will go ready burgundy in the autumn. If you've got one of the orangey ones, they tend to go orange in the autumn. There are a couple of exception cultivars, but most of them, the flower colour and the autumn foliage tend to go together. How very obliging. It is rather obliging because that means if you're trying to colour coordinate in a certain direction, it will do it twice. Um, (laughs) They do need a sheltered aspect. They hate 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly, uh, so you need to have a little bit of shelter for them. Uh, But they're growable around Melbourne suburban gardens. I mean, uh, uh, Jo Lidgewood sent me a photograph yesterday of her lemon yellow one flowering in Baldwin. Uh, So they can be grown in Melbourne. Uh, Um, uh, You just need to have a reasonably sheltered aspect for them. And they're a lovely winter shrub, and they're very elegant in form. Um, They're not that easy to get because witch hazels have to be grafted, and they're not one of the world's easiest things to graft, Uh, so they can be a bit scarce. Uh, Some years you can't get them at all. Um, Last year there was quite a lot out on the market, so I was able to buy up quite a lot of grafted young plants, and so I've got... The three main colours at the moment, I've got the uh, yellow ones, uh, some are more egg yolk yellow than yellow yellow, right through the oranges, there's one called Yellowna, which is a really nice orangey colour, right through to Diane with its dark burgundy flowers. Mm-hmm. And I, if I had the room, I would love to have a cluster of different coloured hemimalis all together uh, for their winter effect, somewhere where the winter light would shine through them. Uh, they are just lovely. Mm. So witch hazels or hemimalis. And... Uh, 
there's one or two North American species, although they, they tend not to be the showiest ones. Uh, the really colourful ones tend to be those that are of Chinese origin or hybrids thereof. So Hamamalus mollus and the intermediate hybrids, which are the main ones you'll see around, are the showiest of the, of mm. the witch hazels to buy. And I just think they're a wonderful winter shrub. They're really, really popular in Europe because they will flower and it doesn't matter how frosty and cold it gets, they, their flowers seem to be completely immune to the cold. And so they can be reliable plants in Holland and Belgium and Sweden and all over the place. And one of the few things that will flower for them in the winter. Fantastic. Uh, and, of course, we have lots of things that will flower for us in the winter. But I do quite like the naked stem flowery thing, which, of course, our native shrubs don't do. Unless, of course, they're dying. Um, but they normally keep their foliage. We don't have much deciduosity amongst Australian natives. So uh, I quite like that effect. It's, it's, there's something sort of really sort of classically wintry about a bare plant with its little tiny flowers on it. Mm. So I, I like the, all the things that do that. Now, I should, I should, sorry, Gwen, I should remind listeners that um, the 3CR Gardening Show now has a Facebook page, and in fact, um, some of the plants we're talking about this morning, we have already taken photos of and uh, sent those through. Cool. So if you want to actually see what some of these plants look like, um, just go to Facebook, search for 3CR Gardening Show, and up will all come, and uh, click on like. Yes. We'd love uh, to get yes, some more to, some And I might friends. add, somebody got in touch with me recently and said they listen to us regularly, and whenever we mention a plant name, she just Googles it. Uh, and so she has images up in front of her virtually as soon as we start talking about it, so I'm assuming she's out there already Googling Hammer Malice. Uh, and that's actually another useful way of getting a sense of what we're talking about, because... Roger and I are very good at describing things, I'm sure. Um, but nonetheless... Uh, are we, Stephen? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yes, if you can see an image, it helps a lot. And Facebook is a great asset. And seeing as you've mentioned it, uh, I did mention it at some stage, but Stephen Ryan is now Facebook organised. So you can find me under Stephen Ryan or you can find me under Dixonia Rare Plants. I've got two Facebook pages. In fact, I've got three because I'm now in charge of the Mount Macedon District Horticultural Society Facebook page. You've come a long way in the I, last few months. Oh, the last few months, you've got no idea. You know, Instagram is no longer a, a frightening term oh. to me anymore. Uh, so I'm Twittering, Instagramming, Facebooking. And so I'm putting things up on the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society Facebook page. So please go in and have a look at that. I'm putting all this work in. Somebody might as well look at it. <laughs> do you have time to do anything else? Oh, no. No, I'm just doing Facebook all the time now. <laughs> when he was coming in, he was saying he's still doing the crossword from the daily paper. I still do the so crossword. There you from go. The, yeah. So you can be ambitious. And I sometimes get something. it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm doing all that stuff. So I'd love it if people sort of friended... Uh, well, all three of my Facebook pages would be fine. I don't care. Um, and, yes, I'm on Instagram as well for those who do that. Um, uh, and that's – actually, that's the one I'm having the most trouble with sort of getting my head around its purpose. I mean, I can sort of understand the Facebooky thing. Instagram seems to be more about images and that's things than anything That's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know how it translates into, from my perspective, being predatory as I am into sales, but um, uh, I post – pretty pictures up on Instagram fairly regularly uh, of things that are looking nice mm. at the moment and 
lots of people go in and look at it and like it and all that. So hopefully it's educating people, they're learning some stuff, and maybe it's of use to the company as well so that my mm. nursery will hopefully flourish from it. But anyhow, yeah, yeah. so there so you go. Sometimes looking, you know, if you go into Google and, and type in the name of a plant, and even if you put images after it, um, you can get quite a mix of things. Oh, yeah, up. things that have no yeah, obvious yeah, relationship yeah, to the plant so that you're looking for. You just have to, uh, if you've got a bit of an idea of what you're looking at, it's okay. Well, but from some... our descriptions, I'm sure people would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're right. Google can lead you astray. I mean, mm. many mm. a time I've tried Googling something, and, yes, all these images come up, and sometimes it's of an image of some plant that was mentioned in an article about the one that you actually were looking for, yeah. and so that image comes up, and... And, uh, yeah, it's got no real relationship to what you're looking for, so no, no. you do have to be careful. Because that does tend to lead in a bit to a thing I've got here. There's a the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria doing hort flora online now, which oh. is Roger Spencer's five volume uh, called Horticultural Flora of South Eastern Australia. So that's now online and. Um, they have lots of images. It's just in the early stages, but mm. there's still a lot of information. So if people want to go to that, if you just, um, even if you just type in a hort flora, mm. one word, it'll come up on your, on your search thing, mm. and just click on that. It'll say RBG Vic, and you can go into, and um, you can browse, you know, things if, if you know what you're looking for. If you just want to go to a genus, you can go to a genus, type oh, in, yeah. and then you can pick out, you can go through. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, called Hort Flora, H-O-R-T-F-L-O-R-A. And uh, they're doing a lot of work on it. And so it, it's, a, it's a really good resource. It's, it's based on the Vic Flora, which yeah. is the native Victorian flora, uh, but it, it, it's really worth looking at. So, hort flora. Uh, I hope they're keeping their names up to date. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think they're trying to. And, oh, God, it's a nightmare. Oh, so, uh, but anyway, I, it, it's well worth looking at. So, uh, go, well, on, go yeah. into it and have a look. Good. Yes, I think, you know, those sort of resources that we didn't have 20 years ago can be very, very useful. Well, you know, the. The actual volumes, the hard copy volumes out of print, and they are so expensive to to reprint any because it'd be a short run and all yeah. that sort of yes, stuff. Yes, yes. But just to have this available as an online that's fantastic thing. So, yeah, excellent. Okay, we're going to our first caller. We have uh, Jan in Lilydale. Good morning, Jan. Oh, good morning, Carol. Uh Yes, the old-fashioned mignonette. Um, I have a friend who whose mother used to grow it and asked yeah. me about it the other day. I haven't seen it anywhere for years, and I can't even find any seeds anywhere. Is it still around anywhere, or is it... Oh, look, it's to bound to be around somewhere, but it'll be one of those things that you'll get through one of the heritage seed suppliers. Ah, yes, uh, I never it, thought of that. You, won't, you probably won't get it out of Yates or any of the, you know, Dr. Fothergills or whatever it is, uh, seed packets. Um, uh, it's more likely to be something you might get from New Gippsland Seed Farm. Uh, diggers might still have it on their list. I don't know. It could be worthwhile checking theirs out. Yeah, um, there will be somebody that has Mignonette on their list. I mean, it, it is one of those very old-fashioned, not overly showy flowers, but oh, the perfume, it's a lovely perfume. perfume is gorgeous. Yes. Um, and, yes, it is one of those old-fashioned things that you don't see around much. But I would go through a couple of those sort of sources. And once you get in touch with one of those people, if they don't have it, they probably will know where it is. Oh, um, thank you. So they'll lead you on in the right direction, hopefully, to get some Mignonette seed. Good. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay. Love Bye. your show. Bye. 
Stephen, you were saying Joe, um, Joe had sent you a photo of something. And this is the other thing, you know, down at the plant sale at the Cranbourne Gardens this weekend, people yesterday were coming along with their mobile phone and, look, there's this red-flowered plant growing in the dry riverbed walk. Yes. Uh, have you got one of these? Yeah, which is a great asset. And, and that's great. I mm. mean, somebody else wanted something that's growing in the main street of Dandenong. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have had a clue what it was. <laughs> uh, yes, it's got green leaves, though, Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> there is a book from South Australia years ago called It's Blue with Five Petals, and I thought... That was a lovely title for a book. But now if you've got a mobile phone that's got a photographic um, element to it and you know how to use it... Yes, that's the other issue. A, yes, <laughs> take a, a photo I have had some very blurry ones arrive at my <laughs> place sure that don't have. always help. Um, but, but you would also have some very blurry customers well, too, Well, you no probably, doubt. yes. Who <laughs> we won't mention by name. No, but, you know, if, if you're trying to identify something... Uh, take a photo, take it along to your nursery. Uh, that's harder to sort of key it into Google and say, please tell me what this is. But if you go along to your specialist nursery or botanic gardens, there's likely to be somebody there who can, you know, put you on the right track. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, Absolutely. While we're waiting for uh, another caller to come through, Stephen, let's go to another plant. All right. Well, this might frighten the uh, the people out there who are worried about weedy plants, but I bought in a holly. <laughs> um, but uh, I will preface this by saying this is a sterile male. It's got no berries. Yes, uh, it can't fruit. Um, Poor fellow. Yeah, it's very sad. Uh, but it's a really interesting shrub. It's uh, commonly known as the hedgehog holly, and the reason being that its leaves have prickles around the outside like you expect from a holly, but it has prickles all over the top of the leaves as well. So it does look like a little hedgehog. Uh, Its foliage has a silvery margin around it, so although it may not have flowers of any note and certainly doesn't get fruit, uh, its foliage is attractive enough to make it an interesting garden plant. And in cold climates like up at Macedon, you often get this pinky colouring Mm -hmm. in the winter foliage that is just cold-induced, which is quite pretty. And there's... A couple of old hedgehog hollies up in gardens on Mount Macedon that must be 100, 120 years old now. Mm -hmm. And one of them, the one I actually propagated these from, is one of our big old well-known gardens up at Mount Macedon called Denira. And the plant of this Denira must be at least six or seven metres tall and equally as wide. Uh, and it grows all the way to the ground. It is just this huge rounded mound of foliage. And it... After all those years, it's shown absolutely no sign of reversion to green. The plant is completely and utterly variegated. There's Mm -hmm. not one skerrick of green Mm -hmm. in it anywhere. In fact, I keep my eye out for green because if I got a green form, I could have a green hedgehog holly, uh, which might, in fact, be worth growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's never, ever thrown any reversions, which is unusual amongst variegated plants. Most variegated plants will throw the odd spontaneous green bit back again, and some are so unstable they become green quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that some people who release variegate should at least check, uh, grow them on long enough to see whether they're reasonably stable. There was a certain box, uh, Australian native Queensland box, that uh, was not terribly stable, I have to say. Um, Lovely variegated foliage when it was a young tree, but then when it gets up to a big tree, you've got all these green bits through it. Yeah, there's one at Maranoa Gardens of that plant you're talking about 
and uh, they have looked after it. So oh, yeah, so they've cleaned it, out any green. And it, it's a really shapely tree. It's, you know, got quite a, a nice canopy. Yeah. And, and the trunk's attractive on, on the, the Queensland box. Loff of steam, and they call them these days, yeah. conferred it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely tree. But you're right. It's not very stable. No. And no. I don't mind a small shrub that's variegated that reverts a bit because you can just get in with your secateurs as long mm. as you're keeping an eye out. But I'm getting too old to climb up a 40-foot tree to cut a green bit out of the top. Um, Goodness uh, me, Stephen. Well, you know, once you get past 50, you're not supposed to climb a ladder, are you? Uh, So they say. I'm still doing that a bit. But um, uh, I'm certainly not going to clamber up into a tree to get that green bit out of the top. Uh, So I wouldn't plant something that was variegated if I wanted to keep it that way that wasn't stable. And certainly this this hedgehog holly is very stable. um, And although uh, it can get quite large, of course, as I said, uh, holly's in, in... comparatively slow-growing shrub. Yeah, I was uh, just wondering on, the, you know, how quickly, because it seems to me with its various qualities that it has, it's good for keeping people and dogs and stuff out. Yes, well, it's oh, slightly yes. prickly, so it could yeah. do that. Uh, it's the ideal thing to plant under your bedroom window to stop people getting yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and um, I quite like prickles and thorns yeah. on leaves. I think they look effective in the garden, and uh, I'd prefer to have something like this that's got, you know, comparatively benign prickles. I mean, they can go in, but they come straight out again. They're not hooked thorns or anything, uh, and they're not that hideously prickly. But that plant that I bought in, it's in a 15-centimetre pot. It would be 30 centimetres tall. It's about 18 months old uh, from a cutting. Mm. Uh, So that sort of gives you a sense of its growth pattern. I mean, from last spring, it put on, well over half of its size and it will probably keep putting on about that same amount of growth each year and of course hollies are very prunable I mean they were were and still are in Europe particularly a commonly used hedging plant so you can prune them back quite hard and they'll reshoot again um, so you can keep them in almost mm. any shape you want and you could even if you wanted to turn it into a ball on a stick or you know any of that sort of topiary style of mm. thing if you wanted yep. um, and hollies are comparatively shade tolerant uh, they probably don't like 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly but um, they're reasonably tough and hardy once they get their roots down and certainly if you're planting male hollies you have to forego the charms of the red berries but you don't get the weedy issue mm. so so I think that's quite a pleasant plant so there mm. you go Gwen, you wanted to quickly mention Maranoa Gardens. Well, Roger mentioned qui- Maranoa Gardens quickly in passing, and that's a, a great garden to visit in our Melbourne metropolitan area. Um, it's organised by the Burundara Council, which is the sort of Camberwell Q area. Um, uh, the location of this one is Paring Road, Borwin, P-A-R-R-I-N-G. It's open... We- I've got a brochure in front of me. I don't know this off the top of my head. It's open weekdays, 7.30 to 4pm. Now, I think 7.30 in winter's a little bit keen, but... Um, oh, well, you know, just go for that early morning wake-up walk. Well, I think it's <laughs> when the gardeners start. Actually, yeah. Mm. yeah, it's on the um, boundary of the um, Beckett Park there mm. Mm. at Borwin. It was one of our very early Australian native gardens, wasn't it? It was. Early yeah. 1900s. Yeah. 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 yeah, so it was yeah. the, one of the early attempts at trying to use Australian natives in a, in a sort of a garden setting, yeah. which I think is fantastic. So it's historically important, I guess, yeah. in ways. Here we go. Oh, as I said, I've got a brochure. 3.5 acres in Borwin in 1901. Goodness, we were just federated. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's incredible. They're created by John Watson. But anyway, um, look, it's also open weekends, 12 to 5, because, uh, yeah, they do have staff on duty there, but they've yeah. also got a... 
they haven't got a friends group, but they've got some volunteers who help. But um, any, if you just like a wander around next door to it, there's a playground for children, um, plenty of toilet facilities. They don't have the bonfire there anymore. No, that they used to used be the, the top bonfire. Because oh, really? The oh, tallest yes, our parents used to take us yeah. on Guy Fox. Taller, tallest site in the eastern suburbs. So oh. yeah. But that wasn't at Maranoa. That was at Beckett yeah, Park next, next door. Next door. But mm. anyway, Maranoa, M-A-R-A-N-O-A. It's a bit of a hidden jewel, isn't it? People don't it know about it. It is hidden. Yeah. gardens are yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes, I remember visiting Maranoa Gardens when I was a, a horticultural apprentice, when I was doing my uh, apprenticeship out at Oakley. Did Mr Jones take you out, did he? I got a feeling he might have done. Yes. Uh, and it was quite an eye-opener because, you know, being the country boy I was from up at Masset, and I'd never heard of Maranoa Gardens. Of course. Uh, and so we went for an excursion out there one day, mm-hmm. and it was fascinating because in some senses it's a very classic garden in a way. It's got yep. lawns and yep. beds yep. and all that stuff, but it's instead of being filled up with roses and, and, and annuals and things, it was filled up with Australian natives. And mm-hmm. it's surprisingly beautiful in a sense for... Showing you how you can incorporate natives into a more formalised yep. setting. Oh, that's mm. right. And it's just interesting because some of the trees are quite old now. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's good to see just how big they grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes the labels yeah. in the nursery don't give no, you the whole no, story, no. do they? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we must get to uh, a couple of calls. And uh, next up we have uh, Jason in Mill Park. Good morning, Jason. You're in Mulbark. Oh, Mulbark. Okay, sorry. I'd like to say you do a great job, guys, and I go to, with a men's group to Kevin Hines, go, go in, in Doncaster. It is, we do a lot of gardening, we do, and they have volunteers there just like the garden you mentioned in, in Bowen, and yep. also to all the listeners who live in the Doncaster area, to, if they want to do volunteer work there, contact them, or, Go and visit the office. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Yeah, well, that's another great place. Okay. And thank you so very much, and goodbye for now. Thanks, Jason. Bye. And there are many opportunities to volunteer in horticulture and other areas, and people sort of come mm. along even, you know, to things that we're all involved in as, as volunteers and say, oh, you volunteers do a great job. And you say, look, you get you far be one more too. out <laughs> of it than what you put in. Of course you, know? you do. I mean, all those things, you learn so much. You get to network with a whole pile of exactly. interesting people. Yeah. Um, you know, being part of an organisation that uh, in any sort of horticultural thing mm. uh, can be great fun. You know, Lots and of sharing of yeah. ideas and, and plants and cuttings. <laughs> yes, yes, all that Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. by the way, speaking of which, my cutsy is doing particularly <laughs> well that I bought home as a cutting from here some time back that Roger bought in. Yeah, well, uh, my original plant's up about that high, okay. and I've got about four growing in 15-centimetre pots okay. that I can sell to people if they want a cutsia. Yeah, cutsia viburnia. It's a beautiful plant. Lovely foliage. Dark green, glossy leaves. It doesn't look particularly native in lots no, of ways. No, I think it's in the... Relate, related to hydrangea, I think. Yeah, just off the could top be, of it. Yes, could and, be. But it has these quite sizable heads of small cream flowers which have a delightful perfume. Mm. Mm. Good And fruit. it's sort of, a, I guess it's a sort of a rainforesty yeah, plant. Yeah. And it's certainly coping, well, I mean, I haven't put one out in the open, but it's certainly coping with our cold without any well, sort of. Up at Carwara Garden, up in the Dandenongs, it, uh, it thrives there. Yeah. And, the, and they get snow now and again. 
not so much frost, but it gets cold yeah. there, so yeah. they get a yeah. bit of frost. Yeah, so but, uh, yeah, so it's doing all right for me, and my original stock plant's got a flower bud on it at the moment, good, so good, I'll good. have it in flower before you know it as well, so yeah. there you go. See, right. that's what happens when you get involved with things. <laughs> you get some interesting plants. Uh, so have everyone ringing in want to come in and volunteer on the garden show. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> well, that wouldn't hurt either. We, we could always use a few more volunteers, couldn't we? Oh, Pam? absolutely, mm. yes. Okay, Roger, let's get back to you, because oh. you've got so many interesting plants there. Stephen might like a cutting of this one. Yeah, it's uh, O'Leria. It's um, oh, that is a, d- a daisy and um, pale mauve. But clear. Uh, it's not uh, one of those wishy-washy yeah. colours. Yeah. It's a nice... With, with a nice yellow centre. Mm. And it's a lightish green leaf. Small. Small leaves. And it's a very compact plant. Sometimes I've seen them growing... When they're out and exposed, they'll take exposed situations very well. Um probably 30 to 45 centimetres Yeah, high. so not a big shrub, not a, a moundy sort mm, of shrub. Yeah, but it can get bigger if it's in a bit of shrub. Where we are, it's uh, maybe not quite a metre high, yeah. some of the plants. So where does it come from? It's from Western Australia, and mm-hmm. it comes from down near Ravensthorpe, uh, in a fairly exposed conditions there. And so it's in a spot where it gets a little bit winter wet there, mm-hmm. But in summer it gets dry. So it's, um, it's a thing that we found has developed pretty well. Uh, so Oleria, O-L-E-R-I-A, Homo Lepis, H-O-M-O-L-E-P-I-S. And if you go to the Friends, Cranbourne Friends plant sale... They've still, got it? They've still got some, Gwen? They have, yes. We had well, several rush in and get it because it's yes. really good. Yeah. Have a cutting, Oh, thank you, Gwen. It's re- oh, I dropped a bit. And, and, and it does propagate quite well from cuttings. Yeah, well, a lot of the Illyrias do, so, but it's, it's charming. It's, it's a great native daisy. Yeah. Daisies are, look, an inch and a bit across, well, yeah. two... And they can get bigger than that, Three too. centimetres with a, yeah. you know, bright yellow centre, buttony sort of centre, and the, the um, rays that come out and the nice yeah. mauve. As no. far as its long-lividness... Yes. Um, I think if you get, you know, five, seven years out of it... It will start to get a bit thin and wispy. Yeah, but even to prune it back after flowering is Mm. good. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it's a charming plant. I like it. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, I I have to... We have to talk about this, Roger, because... Wattles are just bursting they out at the moment. It's part of my favourite time of the year. They are, aren't they? Oh, they and, are. They're um, everywhere. Anyway, this is the snowy river wattle, and I think I bring this every time it's in there. <laughs> so people probably get sick of hearing about snowy river wattle. But um, Acacia bormanii, B-O-O-R-M-A-N-I-I. It comes from East Gippsland on the snowy river. Um, it's a wonderful wattle because the rain does not mess up the flower heads. Mm. So they, it'll rain and rain and rain, and they're still open and fluffy. Which yeah. are, quite a few wattles do get a bit yeah. bedraggled. You know, it's got a very fine foliage too. Yeah, yeah. and there's a bit of variation, Stephen. It's a slightly greyishy foliage, yeah. narrow phyllodes, or which they're like leaves, mm. uh, but you can get broader ones too. Broader. So it's not uh, a very stable, or it's, it's very diverse in the yeah, leaves. Yeah, 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 and it's, it's in quite a, a limited area, but it's, uh, it's good if you like copses because mm. it suckers naturally. Ah, so. Ah. Now, that's, I love the way you say that. It's good if you want copses because it suckers naturally because as soon as I mention to anybody something sucker. suckers, they go, oh, can't have that, it's going to take off. Uh, people are so scared of suckering plants. Yeah, but the, the, it's not a really dense plant. They can be fairly dense, but 
you could thin it out and, yeah, and yeah. you could walk among it, which, which would be rather nice, okay. wouldn't it? And a good way of getting it to cops is to stick a fork around. Oh, yes, and that and just soon, breaks soon, the odd route. Damage the I notice we've, we've got a growing area. <laughs> it's even come up in an area between the, the road... Uh, and the garden bed where it's very, very hard, but uh, I see it's... Uh, and I just cut it off every now and again to keep it under control. But um, So, yeah, Acacia bormanii, snowy river wattle, slightly greyishy foliage, and a lovely clear lemon flower. Now, you haven't told me how tall it's going to no, potentially no, it, get. It'll get probably three to five metres. So not hugely big. No. no. Mm. Yeah. And this one is growing in a very, very dry area. Um very harsh uh, area and uh, hasn't grown really as quickly as another one in another spot so you know it, they do tolerate and I, when we lived at Heathmore we had a lovely copse of it there planted every, everywhere we go we plant it so it's good <laughs> oh, so they'll be calling it Roger's Curse yeah eventually. well that, 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 that's prob- probably right <laughs> another great one out that's really come out and Acacia fimbriata and that's uh, Queensland yeah yeah, Queen, northern New South Wales, Queensland species, and it it doesn't sucker, but it, it it it's out in bloom now, and the flowers keep pretty well in rain on that, and there's a whole range of different dwarf selections as well as tall. I think I like the taller one better. I think uh, sometimes we get carried away with dwarfish forms of things. I quite like taller forms in the garden. I mean, even if our gardens are getting smaller, it doesn't mean we necessarily want tiny little gnomey plants no. all the time. No. I mean, we want something with a bit of to- height and yeah. elegance in a garden, and sometimes I'd rather have one good plant than a whole pile of little tiny things. Yeah, good on you, Steve. Yeah. I, I brought this in. This is Leptospermum polygallifolium. Oh, goodness. And, uh, it doesn't look like a polygala. No, no, it doesn't. It does <laughs> no. uh, Inappropriate has, name. There yeah, but it has this... In, in winter, not only in, in winter, but in spring, it has this lovely, you know, deep... Deep burgundy? Yeah, it's a burgundy yeah, it sort of colour yeah. to the growth. And, uh, and we wanted something tall. Yeah. Our, well, I did. I, don't know. I didn't ask when. But <laughs> Charming. But uh, I planted... There's another leptospermum called Morris and I, and that, uh, it's a, a wonderful, not-too-large leptospermum, but you can make them tree-like yeah. just by t- gradually taking off the side branches. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've, we've planted these so that we will get winter sun coming through, but the canopy will give us summer shade. Oh, and yes. you can do with that with a whole range of plants. Mm. And you, you yeah, know, trunking up is something yeah. we don't see people do often no. enough, actually. And leptospermum, even calistamins. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah, they can be treed. Yeah, mm. yeah tree them up. And it means you, you don't take up a huge area. If you've only got a small garden and you, you don't want to have a huge canopy, these are the things to use because you can just thin them out too, you know, so you yeah, make so a nice Yeah, so you've just got that light, light and area. And, look it, to and it's good just looking That's another thing that doesn't window. sell things. Yeah. It's open and light and airy. People seem to want everything bushy and dense. Yeah, but and yeah. I like things that are airy. Just to have movement in the, yes, in the, in the garden. Exactly. So you can get that. So And the, the flowers are just white, Yeah, but... Polygallifolium and the Morris and I ones produce a lot of nectar, and you can make your own manuka honey. You can, yeah. <laughs> but things like honeyeaters go to those. A lot of leptospermums, you know, mainly insect pollinated, but mm. uh, these are bird pollinated. And I noticed little wattle birds were gathering the tiny little twigs for the nest the other day. Okay, They'd get you know you get these tiny yeah. little things that die off. Yeah, and so they're just picking them up. Oh, so they go and do the pruning and cleaning yeah. up for you. Yeah. I, I, I thought they were getting insects, but no, they were, their mouths were full of these tiny little twigs. 
Yeah. Spring must be round the corner. Yeah, oh, yes, they're, they're getting ready to nest. Yeah. Absolutely. Hardly seems any time since autumn finished. I've got a little bit of trivia. We were talking about names before, and a plant we've got down at Cranbourne, and I, at the gardens, you know, say, and I sold a couple yesterday just because of the name. People were just captivated by it. It's a plant in the Protea family called Adenanthus, and the species is Ileticos. It is in in Proteaceous. Ileticos. And now, Ileticos means wriggly. And you look at the plant and you think, you know, now what's wriggly? Is it the seeds? Is it the flowers? Is it the leaves? The botanist who named that and another... He was an Irishman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's probably got that Irish sense of humour for a start. Exactly. He named it after John Wrigley, who was curator of the Botanic Gardens (laughs) in Canberra. (laughs) Uh There's another one. Adenanthus Dibagio Departments of Biogeography and Geology I think it is (laughs) (laughs) And there's a third one I've forgotten just off the top of my head Charles Nelson his name He's he's written some great books He sounds like a a really classic character of horticulture He is is. And people you know were saying yeah I should have one of those It's not a plant you'll pick up readily everywhere Mm. But it's nice, nice foliage. Fl- yeah. Foliage and flowers. Yeah. But you know. And it's got an interesting trivia background. <laughs> it's, it's trivia, but it's fun. Yes, yes. You see, not all horticulturalists are dry, stuffy, boring <laughs> people. You know, there's taxonomists with a heart out there. Yes. I mean, I always wondered, there's a little North American woodland plant uh, commonly known as Merry Bells, and its botanical name is Uvularia, and it was named after the bit of skin that hangs yeah. down the back of your throat. And I thought, now, there was a, there was a taxonomist with no soul. You know, how could you possibly name a flower after that piece of flap well, of skin? Well, he's probably been looking at his flower. Yeah, yeah, he must have been. <laughs> And, and I just thought it was such a dreadfully unromantic name to give such a pretty little wildflower. Mm. So some taxonomists need a good spanking, but others obviously have a, a, a little bit of humour involved, and that's, and that's, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and you mm. do, you remember that stuff. Yeah. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to uh, jump on board and give us a call this morning, we're running through until 9.15, so you've just got just under half an hour to uh, give us a call. We have Stephen Ryan and Gwen and Roger Elliott in the studio this morning. So that number is 94190155 or to speak to Virginia on the outside line 94198377. Stephen, we've got a gorgeous little plant Oh, yes, here. we better not forget this. No, Particularly don't forget. seeing as I think Virginia took a picture of it, so it's up on our Facebook page, so people will go in and look at it and think, what was that one about? Um, it's another one of the little true snowdrops, the galanthus. Um, and when people say true snowdrops, you often hear them throw out the term English snowdrop. Um, there is a species called galanthus nivalis, which is commonly known as the English snowdrop, although... Rumour would have it that the uh, probably it came to England with the Romans and it's not actually a native plant at all, uh, even though it's called English snowdrop now. Uh, but the snowdrops, uh, or galanthus, actually extend right through to Turkey and Greece and all through that European area. And there's species that come from different parts of uh, uh, the Caucasus and all through that part of the world. And this one is one of those sort of more um, eastern species, uh, and it's galanthus warinoei. And it's quite a small one. Uh, its foliage is green instead of grey. Most of the galanthus have greyish green leaves, whereas Waranoei has got a rich green foliage. Uh, and I'm finding it a particularly good doer. 
uh, it multiplies well. Um, and uh, so I've ended up with quite good colonies of it quite quickly. So if people wanted to try a true snowdrop, being one of the Mediterranean species as opposed to the one that grows in England, it will cope with a slightly hotter, drier summer dormancy. Um, so it should do quite well in Melbourne gardens where it perhaps has just a little bit of an overhead canopy of something that's got light foliage or something that was winter deciduous so that it lets the winter light in so that the galanthus has got sun on it when it's in flower but has a little bit of shade over it in the summer mm. and it should grow and flower and I've given up saying things are impossible uh, and mm. galanthus are a really good example of that because I had a client years ago who used to come down to see me from New South Wales every year uh, and she was buying little miniature bulbs and I just assumed she was up in the Blue Mountains or somewhere like that never really paid much attention uh, and she came in one day and she said oh, I want some galanthus to take back to Sydney and I said I've beg your pardon and she said yeah yeah my garden's in Sydney and I've got a view of Sydney Harbour and I said well you won't flower Galanthus in Sydney with a view of Sydney Harbour and she said well I already am I just want some more and so I've given up uh, saying anything is impossible I say I probably wouldn't recommend it uh, but there's always exceptions people will grow Mm. things in certain gardens Mm. where you just wouldn't expect it uh, and sometimes for no apparent reason you know, they haven't done anything special sometimes. They've just planted the plant and it's hit the ground and it's enjoyed where it is for whatever reason mm. and it flourishes. So I know of somebody who was flowering snowdrops in Sydney. So what can I say? Uh, but well, I certainly... We, we, we forget that each individual garden can have its own microculture. Of course it can, yeah. You know? And, and, and so, yeah, although as a general rule you'd think you, you'd never flower one in Sydney, I mean, her microclimate might be absolutely perfect. Uh, it could be. And, in fact, her next-door neighbours may not be able to grow galanthus if exactly. they try. Um, and they're probably very envious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter from Surrey Hills just wanted me to talk about Snuggadootsias. <laughs> uh, and Peter obviously knows that Snuggadootsia is a name I have been known to use occasionally if I don't know the name of a plant. <laughs> and it could be Snuggadootsia latifolia if the foliage is pro- appropriate. could be Snuggadootsia roadsidea if that's where I found it. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so that's my little addition to the lexicon of horticultural names uh, and I got that from a, an old Swiss gardener up on Mount Macedon and he, he was a bit of a dry character uh, and his English wasn't great but he knew all the swear words quite well um, he, he came into Australia via Broken Hill uh, and they taught him how to speak English up there uh, and old Marco was fantastic and he, and he used to love the fact that pe- and he, the only time he ever came unstuck using Snuggadootsia was if somebody asked him to spell it because then he knew they were writing it down and they'd be able to look it up. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so Snuggadootsia is one of those those funny things that sort of happen in life. And I remember on this very program many, many years ago, my mother rang in, dear old mum, when she was still with us, um, and she wouldn't let the girl on the outside line say who it was that was going in. <laughs> and, she, and, of course, I recognised her voice as soon as it came yeah, out of the yeah. air, but she said, I'd like to know how to grow a good Snuggadootsia. <laughs> and so I treated Mum like she was just any other ringer or inner and told her promptly how to grow a Snuggadootsia. Uh, and we had this great conversation about Snuggadootsia <laughs> growing, uh, and the plant doesn't even exist. <laughs> I was going to say, did she have success after your Oh, advice? yeah, she, she grew a really good one. <laughs> so, yeah, so there you go. You can have fun with plant names. Fantastic. Okay, we've got a few callers to get through. So uh, first up, we're going to Julie in North Baldwin. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, and thank you all for coming in and helping us with our problems. I, my topic is, I think, called bifurcation. Uh-huh. So let's just call it trunks that split yep. in some yep. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that is uh, a worry to us is a 
huge spotted gum on council land adjacent to our property. It's only a few metres away from our side fence. It's shed at various times uh, large-ish branches that have dropped on the fence and also all of that. The council uh, arborist says that he's inspected the gum and he added the words, but not climbed it, and he feels that it's quite healthy. Now, some, we had somebody in our garden the other day and he looked up and he said, that gum is dangerous because see where the trunk has split and, and it's sort of a third of the way up. Uh, this huge gum, and I wonder whether this, uh, whether we should be putting some sort of pressure on the council to at least climb the, the tree and look at it. Look, it's always worth it, I guess, isn't it, Roger? Uh, you know, yeah. if you're worried about a tree, I think you know it needs. Can you to see look actual it. splitting occurring at the bifurcation where it's forked? Well, there's ch- is a change in colour in that in that fork. But yeah, that often happens. Two, yeah. yeah, they're just two sort of rather healthy. Well, they're just it just divides at that point, and or everything else looks healthy as it grows out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is the bifurcation very tight? Is uh, are the two trunks quite close together, or are they more spread out in a sort of more U shape? Uh, close, more close together, right. I'd say. Yeah, because yeah. a lot depends on just the growth between. You know, if it's a bit like a. A saddle or whatever. I'm just trying to think of the right term, Stephen. But, um, you know, if there's good, strong, slightly raised growth where the, the fork is, it's probably not a major problem. But if it's just goes straight down into a V, I'd say there's more likely to be problems. But they need to climb it, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Now, I, I think, look, yeah. I would pressurise them to at least have a proper look at it. Yeah. Um, uh, there can be no harm in that. And if they've got a good arborist who knows his stuff, I mean, they can never be 100%, 100% perfect. I mean, if we get a cyclone comes hurling through, uh, any tree is at risk. Um, and we have to accept the fact that, you know, if we want nice leafy suburbs, we've got to live amongst trees. We can't just take them all down. It's um, on the south on the southwest side of our the corner of our house and we get a bit nervous and just and i've got i have got another one that i uh, another japanese maple that i could could i quickly ask you never never planted one before this one is lovely it's a sango keiku a lovely red yeah the stem one one, yeah Mm -hmm. lovely and but when we bought it 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 was had divided trunk so to speak and we thought oh it's going to grow up and that they'll all, all be sort of midway up and it'll grow ahead but the, the, it's remained with just the divided trunk down only a, uh, a, a 30 centimetres off the ground. Yeah, the divisions of stems like that, they don't go up the tree. They stay where they are. They just get thicker. Oh, right. Uh, and certainly with a maple, I'm not particularly perturbed about that because bifurcation is one of those things that's more of an issue with larger trees. I mean, with shrubs and, and, and maples in general could be classed as shrubs with delusions of grandeur. They're not particularly big trees. Mm. Uh, and it's all about weight and distribution of weight and what have you in the tree. So the chances of the maple having any issues from bifurcated stems is pretty slim, whereas the big spotted gum is, of course, a different sort of beast altogether, and it's yeah. more likely to have issues. And, of course, if it does have issues, they're more likely to be major ones because it's yeah. a big tree um the maple is is going to be fine and it may just be a matter of removing some of the shorter side limbs off it to lift the canopy up in the air but leave the multiple trunks yep good thank you very much indeed that's a pleasure bye thanks everyone bye 
Right, next up we're going to another Julie, uh, and this time she's out in uh, Camberwell. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. I was wondering if you guys had some suggestions for some smallish grasses to plant around a pond, which houses the fountain thing. Um, I've got dioecies around there at the moment, which are fine. I can leave them there, but I thought grasses might be a little more interesting, a bit more bird-friendly maybe. Yeah, there's probably lots, isn't there, Roger? I mean, oh, yeah, there amongst are. native grasses, there's masses yeah. of lovely tussocky ones. Yeah, yeah. sometimes they, they can spread a bit, which you've got to be careful. Yeah. I think of weeping grass, Michaelinus dipoides, which is a lovely soft grass, but I wouldn't plant it probably anywhere near a garden bed. It's a lawn alternative. Yeah, it's a lawn alternative. It's <laughs> yeah, so a good take-off. Oh, yeah, but there are... It's used as lawns. There, it, there needs, are. it needs to look good a lot of the yeah. year because okay. it's in right. full view. Yeah. There, there are some of the different lamandras. Now, there's lots of lamandras being planted everywhere uh, and, you know, council plantings and things yeah. like that. But there, there are others, some lovely other ones. One I think of, I think it's a wonderful one, is lamandra. Conferti folio. Have you got a pen? I've written it already. I'm yeah. okay with that one. Good on you. Um, but but the, the variety is it can't be prickly. No, no. This okay. is one called subspecies. Yeah. Ruby ginosa. R U B I. Yeah. G I N O S A. Okay. Now it can be slightly. It's a, a darkish green. Mm. It has. Lots of flowers. The flowers can be hidden a bit, but they do have a lovely perfume. That sounds good. uh, So where does the ruby come from? At the base of the the leaf, as it hits the the ground, is quite purplish. Ah, so the leaf goes down. And sometimes the base of the flower stem is... Looking with a magnifying glass. (laughs) (laughs) Right, sunny day. It's a bit like incisor then. (laughs) But but also some of the the flower buds can have a a purplish colour too. But it's... So it's a nice, soft... Good. Slightly arching thing. They'll get about probably... Um, probably 30 to 50 centimetres across oh, and a, a, a bit higher. So there are some slightly greyish foliage ones too. So even in the Rubiginosa subspecies... Because some of the ornamental slash ornamental grasses can have downtime, can't they? They can look a bit scruffy at yeah, certain times this, of the year and doesn't. they need to clean out and all that yeah, sort of this, stuff. This is one of those plants that doesn't do that. So. Yeah, so it just looks neat oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's soft because the yeah. kids are just drawn to the water all the time. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if it's yeah. prickly, it stops them. <laughs> <laughs> We've got one right near our front door. And it, we were saying before, the ryegrass pollen that causes hay fevers and things is not particularly obvious. The cream flower spikes on this lamandra are not knock your eyes out. But, you know, people, I know it used to be um, in the display garden of Karanga Nursery when they were at Ringwood many years ago, and people have, what's that loveliest thing I can smell? And, you know, you'd walk round and round and not suspect this little grassy-like thing had such a nice perfume. So, and there are quite a lot of cultivars of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so around have they got naff names? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not too bad, actually. No. But um, that, that would be one thing I, I'd suggest because it's, um, 
you know, it's not a, a true grass as such. I, I always find it inter- interesting. The nursery trade has all, the, all these things called grasses, and that there's yeah, nine lilies. Of them aren't, and, yes, they're yeah, not, not grasses no. at all. But at Lamander, it, it's um, but it's a lovely plant, and. Um, it, it's well, I think you can probably stop there. I might. All right. Okay. That's you're easy. Yes. That's, well, that sounds really good. It sounds exactly right because with some of the grasses, I actually did what they said and cut them down. Yeah. 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 And nothing. They just looked awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they didn't come back. Yeah. Well, you won't. You won't have to do that to this plant. Oh, good. Well, that's why um, Altona Meadows, which was uh, against a, a brick. Yeah, I was going to say, hibiscus generally will cope with quite high temperatures, so yes, they w- they're, they're good were. for a hot, sunny wall. Mm. Well, the, the beginning of these plants, were they did belong to my next-door neighbour, and uh, the people there tended to be not interested in their garden, and I received them as, uh, here, would you like these? And I had to dig them out, and they were both nearly half dead, so... Seasol has helped them quite a lot over the years. This was about probably getting on to 15 years ago. So when we moved from there, uh, I took pencil-sized cuttings and I grew them in water. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long journey so far because this will bring it up to about three years this year. I'm sort of almost too scared to plant them out, <laughs> but I can't keep them in pots forever. No, you but can't. Hibiscus a- will need to get out into the ground. Um, and I don't understand why you couldn't get them out this coming spring. You you just need to, you know, dig that ground over well and get plenty of compost and perhaps yes, some coarse well, gr- sand or gravel into it as well Yeah. and yeah. try and get them out into the ground. And certainly it won't hurt to cut them back by about half, but I wouldn't do that until the spring. Okay. So wait till the weather starts to warm up uh, and that will encourage them to branch out. Uh, but it shouldn't be beyond you to get the ground ready for them to get them out this year. All right, then. I, I think you might be trying to too fine a edge on the soil, really. Um, okay. They don't need great soil. They need good drainage. Yes. Uh, that's really important. Um, and if you're in an area where you've got the heavier soils, which you tend to be out that way, yeah, uh, yeah. then you need to get that soil opened up a bit and perhaps lift the bed up a bit so that you've got surface drainage. But if they're, you know, if they're in 300-millimetre pots and, and they're getting tall and leggy, I mean, they really do need to get out of those pots. They're, they're yelling out then, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah. are. And uh, as soon as the... Uh, the cold weather's sort of on the wane and, and the days are really starting to lengthen properly, sort of probably September, end of September, uh, yep. I'd want to be ready to plant them then. Okay. And Thank I, you for And that. I think you'll be better off to get them out to the ground. Oh, and also okay. they'll adjust to the warm weather if you plant them out while the weather's still coolish. They'll yep. get used to the weather as it warms up as the season goes on so that hopefully they won't be too stressed when we do get those really hot days. Okay. Thank you for that. I think I just needed the push. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, I haven't contained a garden for so long, and then I think, oh, gee, I've, I've managed to keep these. Now I'm too scared to lose them, you know. Yeah, well, you've got to take that leap at some stage, otherwise you'll yes. lose them in the pots. So, yes, you, you know. will, yes. Yeah. Oh, Look, and the plants you. will be much stronger if you plant them now. Oh, oh yes. yeah, They'll, they'll yes, go backwards yes. in the pots. Yes. The, Al was that weird phone call last, I think, near enough to December about the Singerigium. You know that little funny little plant I sent us? Oh, you probably can't you get millions of photos. But we're still, I've still got that. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm determined to keep things. Yeah, well, and look, that, and at the end of the day, though, unless you take the risk, you'll lose them anyway. Yeah. And yeah. if you take the risk and lose them at the same time, at least you've had a crack at it. That's you know, right, uh, but I'll still take cuttings. Yeah, know, well, yes, look, cuts. if you take a couple of cuttings off when you prune the plant back, yep. then you've got a little bit of an insurance policy. If the other yep. plants kick off and they're fine, well, you can give those away to friends. 
Yes, I have already done one because I haven't got enough room for all my success. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that could be a bit uh, of a mixed blessing. I know. Thank you so much for your show. You're wonderful people and great minds to listen to. Okay, thank you. Inspirational. Bye bye. Bye. Roger. We just got a message from the outside line. What was the Lamandra we were talking about before? Veranda Pond and had a scent. Oh, the grass. Um, yeah. Well, so, so-called Ron grass. in Doncaster was asking that question. It was Lamandra confertifolia, C-O-N-F-E-R-T-I-F-O-L-I-A, subspecies Rubiginosa, R-U-B-I-G-I-N-O-S-A. And it, it's, it's a lovely plant. Mr. Google should certainly know about it. Oh, yeah, there'll, yes, be, should be, there'll be a whole it. range of cultivars. Yes, yes, so you'll be able to find the ringy-ding-ding one or whatever, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, they, they, they've all got a lot going for them. Each, you know, I suppose, wholesale nursery tries to have a different one. Oh, yes. Or more than, more than one. Mm. So that's good. I, I've just realised, Pam, yep. um, I think uh, Virginia took a photo of this hibiscus-looking thing earlier on. It's an aleogyne. You've got one minute, Rog. Aleogyne hugelii. I won't spell it all. It's West Coast gem. It's a, a slightly mauve shade of blue or a blue show, shade of mauve, I suppose you'd call it. Uh, flowers most of the year. Grows to around about two metres, three metres. Can prune them back hard. And uh, that's what they really like to do. Some of the aleogyne hugelii are subject to... Um, aphid attack, this one does not seem to get aphids, which is good. Mm. Fantastic. Excellent. And just a reminder to listeners, Gwen, that uh, you're heading down to Cranbourne for the plant sale today. Yeah. Yep, 10 o'clock through till... Yeah, through um, till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Um, lots of things to see at the Cranbourne Gardens, of course, and you can buy some plants from $2 each today. Yeah. And if people um, want to go there and park, they park in the northern end, so as soon as, they, as, soon as they get into the car park, turn left. Okay. There'll be a no left-hand turn sign, but just ignore that. There'll be a red plant. <laughs> just ignore plant. that sign. <laughs> I hope you don't give people that advice on the main road. <laughs> <laughs> a red plant sign. Okay, brilliant. A big thank you to the team this morning and also to Robin and Virginia, who've been handling all the phones for us. Uh, we will, of course, uh, be back Next week at 7.30, so until then, bye for now.